Everybody remembers their first wave, whether it be in the ocean, their first break in business, or their first big win. I'm David McClymont, a former competitive surfer now turned C-suite executive leading the Palm Beach Symphony into its 48th season and your host on the Waves of Success podcast. This show is brought to you by IYC Yachts, Chervaux, and Square Grouper. Produced by Indie House Films. Hey everybody, I'm David McClymont, your host of Waves of Success. And I am thrilled to be seated in the Kravis Center for the Performing Arts right here in West Palm Beach with a very special guest, Diane Quinn, who's the CEO for the Kravis Center of the Performing Arts, where she has served in that role since January. Diane? Welcome to Waves of Success. Thank you. I didn't realize that my, my top was going to match the uh, the tablecloth here. I don't even know if you're going to be able to see me or not. Well, that was nice of you to coordinate <laughs> Thank it. You. Thank I didn't you. get the memo. Yeah, exactly. Next time. Well, speaking of performing arts and coordinating shows and everything else, share with our audience how you got here and a little bit about your background with Cirque. You spent about 17 years at Cirque. I did. Right? So yeah. share with our audience that. Well, like you said, I spent 17 years at Cirque du Soleil, a little circus company uh, out of uh, Montreal, Canada. And it was just, it's the most amazing organization uh, with, you can imagine, people are literally in the building, you know, tumbling and twirling and, and jumping off trapeze and, and whatnot. And so after doing that balancing act for such a long period of time, um, you know, it was time to sort of focus on myself a little bit, not travel all over the world. Uh, see my husband occasionally, which I thought would be a nice uh, a nice change, and um, uh, ended up here as the CEO of the Kravis Center, which has been amazing since uh, the 31st of July, uh, 31st of January, pardon me. Congratulations. I'm Thank sure you. you've been busy hitting the ground running. Well, you know this much better than I, but coming in sort of mid-season, mm -hmm. you, you sort of feel like you have this marathon to run until the end of the season and to try to to compress everything into you know a small period of time so I feel like I've been in this building every night for the last I don't know hundred nights I'm sure yeah but it's been great Good. it's been great yeah so let's go back to Cirque one of the things that I always love to focus on on this show are some of the business principles that allow companies and individuals to be successful mm -hmm. so one of the things that intrigues me the most about Cirque and I know that you worked your way up through the ranks there is how you were able to continuously sustain innovation but I think if you look at all of the great companies that have existed, and some of which that rose to very high success, and others that actually dis dismantled, if you will, you know, how did you and the team mm -hmm. continue to sustain innovation? Because I brought the kids to go see Lanumba in Orlando, right. and it was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Oh, to your point you. about people jumping out of buildings and hitting trampolines, jumping back in the buildings. Exactly. How do you sustain innovation? I think the, the, the main thing is it's about curiosity. That's the first thing. And the second thing is there is a real attention to trying something new and allowing people to fail. And if you don't give people the opportunity to sit in a room together and try to continuously, not even improve necessarily, but to try something different. And not even new, but just different. And the opportunity that Cirque gave to its creators was literally to sit in a room together, whoever the creative team was, and to allow them to build on others' ideas. 
And so it is really important that you have that communication and that trust together because you want to be able for someone to go a little further with an idea, even though maybe at first blush it didn't really sound like it was going to work. You know, let's defy gravity. Well, gravity's pretty hard to defy, but we would allow people to work on that idea, even if it seemed a little crazy. And through the discussion around the table, we were able to defy gravity in, you know, in, in, a few, uh, in a few cases. And if you don't have that curiosity, if you don't build that trust um, and allow that communication to flourish, I don't think you get good innovation. You might get innovation, but it might not be good innovation. Would you agree that it also relates to culture? Oh, right? absolutely. Because I think that all of the great companies that you study and that you look at Culture is also what drives innovation because you brought something up that I think is very interesting and it's been my experience in leading organizations that culture drives everything. Yeah. So culture drives the innovation and if you create a culture within your team that mm -hmm. allows them to fail forward. So talk a little bit about the culture at Cirque. Well, very strong culture. Very, uh, very heavy feeling and when I say heavy I don't mean burdensome but a very, very strong commitment to the organization. You know, a lot of companies talk about family and, and trust and being in unison and that really I think describes Cirque in a, in a very, very, um, in, a, in a very specific way. When you join the company you feel like you're part of something special. You feel like you're part of something unique and there's a great deal of pride at working for Cirque. And I think all good organizations you have that family and you have that sense of pride. So when you, when you come into the organization, you, you first of all understand that creation, which is the creation of new shows, drives the entire business. And so everybody rallies around that. And so once you have that focal point, it I think also helps uh, in terms of where the organization is going. Everybody falls into line in terms of that. And it allows you to, to go, I think, you know, hard, fast, you know, in trying to create something new. And then the benefit of that, of course, is you create a brand new, let's call it product or show. And if that works, everybody shares in the pride mm -hmm. of that and in the success of that. And I think that's what's happened at Cirque, you know, since the company started. Well, and I think that's also important is to have everybody part of the creation. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I mean, listen, at Cirque, it's a, it's a little bit different. Yes, there is a creation room. And in the creation room for each show, the creators sit around the table. And in that room, that is their, that's the utopia room. The idea, the room where they're allowed to explore and, and create and, and disseminate amongst themselves. And for a long time, others weren't necessarily welcomed into the room. That's changed over the years. Now, the company is really, uh, you know, welcomed into the room, welcomed into the rehearsal process. But there's so much respect for what those creatives do that rarely do people actually come in. I'm sure. So it really gives them that, that space to... Autonomy. To, to, yeah, exactly. To be in that creative space, too. Exactly. Right, because for them to be creative, they actually probably have to be insulated somewhat. A little bit, because you're bouncing ideas. Correct. And again, some of those ideas, as we mentioned, are like a little creative, are, are crazy, a little kind of off the wall. And you don't want people to poo-poo that, because you want people to go further. That's where the trust comes into it. If people allow you to go a little further in the discussion, a little further in the notion of this crazy idea that we're actually going to spend a week working on, 
then other ideas are going to flourish out of that because, because they've trusted you with that first idea. Now they might even trust you with an even crazier idea. Right. And that's what you want. There's equity built. Absolutely. Well, I also think it's important as a leader that you pose questions too, right? So when someone comes to you with a wild idea, to pose the question and say, help me understand why you believe that this will actually be a great idea. There's that. And it's always offering those open-ended questions like you just did. So if somebody comes to you an idea, with an idea and you're automatically going to say no and you shut them out, you break down trust. Um, and then you break down people coming to you with other ideas that could be fantastic. But they think, well, she's going to say no mm -hmm. or he's going to say no. And they go, okay, I'm not going to share my idea. And that, I think, just kills innovation right there. I also appreciate you bringing up what I like to call attributes. Mm. So I have a Six Sigma from Purdue, and when I went through the certification, part of our project was to study Toyota. Okay. And I found it very fascinating that within Toyota, their culture was that the people that put on the tires weren't tire assembly technicians. No. They were lifesavers. Yep. And when they created that paradigm within that team of people that put on the tires, and then the rest of the team within Toyota understood that the people that put on those tires were lifesavers, then it created a culture within Toyota to where everybody was trying to assist each other regardless of what their job was. I, and I'm I sure that was critical at Cirque, and I'm sure it's critical here at the Kravis Center as yeah, well. Yeah, I, I think when you're dealing with life safety and, uh, and people, just general people's safety, and I think that that would be the case in what you do, in what I do here you know, at the Kravis Center, then people start to say, I'm more than the person who rips the tickets. I'm actually the person who, for the first time, might be welcoming somebody who's never seen a live performance before. And that's the way I've even talked to the volunteers. We were having our, our volunteer night here last month, 450 individuals who volunteer here at the Kravis Center. And I said, one of the things that you have to remind yourself is you might be the first person that welcomes an individual to their seat in any performance facility anywhere in the world, it happens to be here on this night, and you're going to take them to their seat to see a production for the very first time. That's powerful. Mm -hmm. so. Well, I spent 15 years managing Bear Lakes Country Club, which is a private country club a couple of miles west of here, and we would always talk about the moment of truth. Mm. And that's the moment of truth, right? So the moment of truth is that first interaction at any facility. Yes. It doesn't matter what your product or service is. So we always said within the club, the most important people at the club were the valet and the locker room attendants because they were the ones that set the stage, yes. pun intended, for the experience for the rest of the time. To your point about the ushers, they're setting the stage. They are. It's that first interaction. Yeah, well, and I even say it goes back even further than that, and, and you would know this as well, you know, from the symphony. For us, it is maybe a telephone call. Somebody inquires about buying a ticket. Somebody comes to the website, and that also is the first interaction. How welcoming is your website? How welcoming are the people that you interact with on the phone or at the box office? And uh, if you can get that right, you've already you've already built that trust mm -hmm. with whoever that uh, whoever that. And intonation is. to your point about phone. Absolutely. Right, intonation's everything. Yes. You pick up the phone, you want to answer the phone as if it's your aunt or your mom exactly. or a long lost relative you yeah. haven't spoken to in a long time. We have heavy phone culture here, you know, meaning that we actually interact by phone with a lot of our patrons, probably a lot more than other uh, arts organizations do. And to your point, if you're having a poor day, if you're feeling a little sluggish, that can't be the intonation that you have on mm -hmm. the telephone. You have to be welcoming, you have to be attentive, and, and uh, I like to think that our people are very welcoming and very attentive. 
when I managed the club, we used to have a garbage can that was on the back dock where all of the employees would walk in, and we would say with a big sign, make sure that you discard all of your problems in the garbage oh, can like before you come in. To your point about Cirque, yes. where you were saying, yes. we all have challenges. We do. Well, I, and I used to say, when I was on the road and I would go to one of the shows, I, and the, the original owner of Cirque du Soleil was a guy named Guy La Liberté. And he was a sole proprietor of the organization. And I used to say, Guy doesn't pay you to have a bad day. You know, and so when people would come in to, to watch the show, we had obviously a lot of uh, front of house people, and a lot of those individuals would be locals. So when, when the shows would tour around, the locals, in fact, would be the first point of interaction. And we wanted them to get it right as much as we wanted somebody who was, you know, coming from, from the company at large. I want to compliment you because the word on the street is that you've hit the ground running not only with the board members and the major donors but also with the staff and everybody is so excited oh, about you. having you here. Talk a little bit about how you immediately hit the ground trying to build mm. culture because I've heard that you have these town halls or coffee with <laughs> I, Diane. I Talk a little bit about that. I do. Well, when I, when I was going uh, to get ready to come for my first day and I didn't give myself much time between leaving Cirque and coming here which, you know, probably was something I, I, I would have, you know, I'd, I'd rethink if that ever happened again. Area of opportunity. Exactly, area of opportunity. So um, one of the things that I knew I needed to do was really, in, in some ways, script or plan what the first 30 days for sure were going to be. And I, and I thought about it in terms of concentric circles. So the people who I needed to touch first, who were they? And of course, that was staff. And then moving out from there, next people I needed to touch would be volunteers and board. And then uh, our lifetime trustees, and then sort of the community. So I wanted to think of it in terms of from closest to, to further afield. I haven't been 100% successful in, in meeting all of the people that I hoped that I would, but I do think that I've been able to spend my first 30 and 60 days pretty wisely. And one of the ways that I thought I could meet the staff as quickly as possible, but still have it be meaningful, would be starting these things called coffee with Quinn. Now, I'm not a coffee drinker, but uh, tea with Quinn. So I would have seven staff members and myself. We would all sit down informally. We'd do it in the morning, sometimes in the afternoon. And it would be with uh, people across multiple departments. That was the goal. So, you know, somebody from the box office and somebody from marketing and somebody from development and somebody from, you know, technical production, maintenance, uh, custodial. It didn't matter where they came from. And I wanted to understand who they were. Who am I working with? And the first question would be, you know, who are you? And tell me about yourself. And could you share something that everybody in the group wouldn't know about you so that we all had buy-in? And then we would build a little bit of that trust. And the last part was, tell me something that I should know, uh, something that I should change or improve or keep. And I think through those you know, hour-long meetings once a week, I I'd like to think that I got to be able to you know, cut right to the chase for a lot of people. We're still doing them. I still haven't met everybody in one of those coffee moments yet, but I pretty much met everybody just, hi, how are you, which is great. Well, I want to commend you for doing that because I think a lot of times CEOs that come into organizations, regardless of the size of the organization, let's face it, we're inundated, right? Yes. And you were really inundated. To start in January with a very busy season coming out of COVID for two years mm -hmm. was difficult, so I want to commend you. Okay. Let's share with the audience a little bit of the business principles that you've learned while you were at Cirque that you're probably going to implement 
mm. here at the Kravis Center? Well, I talked to the entire team about high quality and uh, the Kravis Center prides itself on being world-class. And so I often ask questions of, is this world-class? And if the answer is yes, great, let's, con let's continue. If the answer is no, how can we get it to be world-class? So that's certainly part of it. You know, um, I was in charge of show quality when I was at Cirque, so that notion of quality is very, very important to me, and I would like to make sure that that continues here at the Kravis, whether it's, uh, you know, do the chairs need repairing, to the programming that happens on stage, to the hiring of staff, everybody has to be world-class, so that's a big, big part of it. And the second thing is community. Uh, how do we reach out to the community? So, you know, for your viewers, if they could see in front of us, they would see we have this amazing glass wall where we see out into the community, but how do we get beyond the glass? So that is a big part of what we're going to be doing for next season, which happens to be our 30th anniversary season. And so the ability to reach beyond the glass is incredibly important to me. And we'll start actually to use the exterior space of the building in ways that we haven't before. And that brings us into community a little bit. And making sure that just the programming itself, not only world class, but how do we make sure that we're reaching to a diversified audience? And that it could be age, it could be income strata, mm -hmm. it could be a choice of the kind of programming that somebody wants to Geographic. see. Geographic, there's yes. a long list of those. Absolutely, mm -hmm. absolutely. And I would say a lot of those mirrored what was happening at Cirque, but fit beautifully here at the Kravis Center. Well, I want to thank you and the entire team at the Kravis for being so supportive of the Palm Beach Symphony. We're celebrating our 48th anniversary, which is really exciting. It's amazing. And we've gone from a very small orchestra that performed mostly in people's homes and churches to now having all of our five concerts here, six next year at the Kravis Center. So I know that I personally want to thank you for that. Partnership is, is important. It, you know, We talk, talk about that all the time. Collaboration yes, and partnerships exactly. are part of our core values. Yes. And we live up to those. Yes. Going back to excellence, we ask ourselves, are we being good community partners. Right. So, you know, in addition to people who live, you know, in Palm Beach County, that is definitely one area of community. But then it, it is, who are you working with? Who are you partnering with? Who are the other arts organizations? Who are the other social organizations? How can we be a part of the growth of this community, which is something I really didn't understand until I got here. This community is it's growing like crazy. It's exploding. It really, really well, is. Well, we talked off camera about the latest podcast I did with Gopal, right. who's the head of Related, and then you and I were talking about the fact that you were living in Delray. Yes. And now you're living right here. Of course. No, I Within walking distance I, of the Kravitz. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to, I wanted to walk to work. You get a different feeling for the community if you're, if you're walking it. Um, I think you understand you know, where the community is a little bit more when you're on the ground, and I certainly feel that. You know, I, I feel I have more of a pulse on, on the city. Uh, I mean, listen, I haven't, I haven't got it all figured out. My God, it's only been, you know, a few months. But I just feel I have a better sense of what's happening. What do you like to do to unplug? So I always pose this question to our guests because we lead such busy lives, right? Mm. With so many roles, responsibilities, and things to do, we also have to create work-life balance. What are some of the things that you like to do to unplug? I'm not good at unplugging. I, I, I'll absolutely I love that you admit, admit it. that. No, it, it, and it's something that it's on my personal list of to-dos now that I'm not traveling everywhere. So um, 
I'm trying to be better at it. I would say the one thing that I am trying to do, just the fact of making the decision to live here, move here and walk to work, is one thing. I, I love to walk. My husband and I are walking all the time. Uh, but my unplug, I like to have a busman's holiday, as they say. I love to see theater. Theater is my, my go-to happy place. And so, you know, I'll be in New York in a couple of weeks. We go to the weeks. city. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. I just and got back last week and watched Strange Loop. Oh, you did? Very, very interesting. It's on my list. Very good. Strange Loop is on my list. So I think nominated for 11 Tonys. Tonys, exactly. Really good. Yeah, so that's, um, yeah, that's kind of my way to unplug is to see art, you mm -hmm. know, uh, go to the Norton. Um, be in a quiet place to look at great art is um, is kind of what drives me. It's, it's actually driven my entire career. I've been in the arts my entire career, and I wouldn't know how to live without it. Well, I think that's purpose and passion, and that's something that yes. I talk about on the show all the time. So when I pose that question to the guests and I say, what do you do to create work-life balance? A lot of them say they struggle with it because they love what they do. Yeah, I do. So if you love what you do, then there's your purpose and yes. there's your passion, Yes. and that's part of the work-life balance is that you actually love yeah. working. Yeah. You know, the other thing, just in terms of, of on my to-do list, and I, it will be a passion, it is a passion, a passion that I've really not been able to embrace. So I'm originally from Toronto, and so my good, deep friends that I've known for, you know, 40 years, 30 years, are from Toronto. And when I was at Cirque and I was living in Montreal, I was on the road probably two weeks out of four. It's very hard to build community when mm -hmm. you're not home. And so being able to live here, a big goal of mine is to build community, my personal community. Uh, and you know, to be at my age and meet new friends, not the easiest thing in the world to do, but that's really on my to-do list. That's phenomenal. Yeah. What's yeah. next for the Kravis Center next year? Two um, amazing brochures have gone out. Our regional arts series uh, has gone out. So classical is a big part, as you know, right. uh, of what we do. So in addition to partnering with the symphony, uh, we're bringing in some world-class orchestras, uh, uh, the Israel Orchestra, uh, Budapest, uh, Cleveland, um, uh, several others, um, but those ones come to mind immediately. And then, of course, the Broadway series is a big, big, mm -hmm. a big um, positive um, uh, winner for us here at the Kravis Center. And we'll, the two things I'm really happy about um, for next season. First of all, I think our head of programming has done an amazing job, but we will do two weeks of Wicked and we will do two weeks of Aladdin from Disney. Again, speaking to high quality. And to be able to have a show sit down here for two weeks gives the, the performers a real chance to be part of our community. Mm -hmm. And I love that. And we've had that with the Donna Summer Show here. Um, and then two other performances that I think are going to be exceptional, straight from Broadway, Town, which did so well, 13 Tony nominations, um, and Ain't Too Proud. And those two shows that I've, that I've seen in New York are going to be phenomenal. How long are the traditional runs? Is two uh, weeks the longest? Two weeks is pretty much the longest. Mm -hmm. Usually a week. That's you great. Know, five, six days max. So to have it, you know, sit down here for two weeks is... And Donna really Summer busy. is here now. Yes. Right? Yes. Started My daughter on went to night. it on Friday and oh, loved it. Opening night. Loved yes. it. Great. Congratulations. Great. I didn't know anything about her story, so that was great for me to see that. I bet. I, I hadn't seen that previous. So I sat in the audience like everybody else and went, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And of course, a little singing, a little dancing in the aisles. Never hurts. Never hurts. No. Never hurts. To get the blood flowing, which that's, we all need. Yes, a little activity. I think that's one of the biggest advantages of the arts, isn't it? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Among Absolutely. many others. I'd say, I like to say it gets the blood flowing between your ears and then in your veins. Very true. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Anything else that you want to share? Just that, you know, people have been so incredibly welcoming here. You know, when you move to a new place, you're just never sure how are people going to react to, you know, someone new. And it's been amazing. Not only, not only the, the, the amazing staff that we have, which uh, really I, f I feel have been exceptional, but when you go out into the community, people actually are welcoming. And uh, I just I really appreciate you saying that. We had talked about this yeah. off camera because I was born here. I grew up literally on hibiscus my first four years. I mm -hmm. shared with Gopal the story of how we spent the first four years there, really? which is now our address of my work, so talk about full circle. But I also think that we're a very embracing community too, and it really makes me proud to hear you say that because that's yeah. very important for a community on both sides yes. of the fence, isn't it? I, I right, you are agree. an institution, we're an institution, we have the opportunity and the responsibility to go out into the community, but mm -hmm. then it's wonderful that the community wants to be part of the community too. Absolutely. Now, if I could just get the drivers to be part of that, then we would be all set. <laughs> but uh, no, seriously, the, it, it has been, it, it's been a great, um, it's been a great experience. Now, you know, in a year, I'm gonna know twice or three times as much as I know right now, but everything that I know so far it has been such a great decision for me to make to come here. Um, the people who, who work here, I can see each day that I come, you know, a little bit more of what they would like to, to, to do with this uh, amazing building and, and uh, with the programming that we have. So that, that helps me in terms of making decisions. I don't like to make decisions in isolation. Mm -mm. Um, I think that you know five or six or seven heads are better than one. I agree. Yeah. Well, I always talk about that the, my hierarchy is that the traditional leadership hierarchy is the traditional triangle, but it's pretty fascinating if you actually Influ invert it. Exactly. And then you allow everybody else to help drive decisions, what happens in terms of culture. Absolutely. And openness, you talked about it early on. Yes. I think that openness in any institution, Diane, is so important because you have to have people comfortable to come to you as the CEO and say, Diane, I have a great idea. Of course. And then you to welcome it and say, talk to me about it. Well, Help me it, understand why it's a great idea. Exactly. And right. you know, again, if, if you keep saying no, they're never gonna knock yeah. on your door again, ever. No, because we're conditioned, right? We're all conditioned. Of course. We have conditional behavior. Yes, of course. So if 21 days to affect change or 30 or 44, or whatever right. the magic number is, right. it's within a month, yes. you do it enough times and someone's gonna be conditioned to not even yes. reference to go there. Yes. Who are some of your mentors? or people that have influenced you, whether it be a family member, a boss? Yeah. I would say um, the one person who comes to mind immediately whenever I've been asked this question is someone who was very, very important in my life and, and, only, and only passed very recently, but my grandmother was an exceptional woman. She lived to two days shy of her 100th birth, birthday and she was on it. She was absolutely on it. And um, she owned her own business. She um, devoured art, devoured being physically fit, uh, was ice skating and bicycle riding, you know, well into her advanced, advanced years. But I think the thing that drove her more than anything else was curiosity. You know, she loved to dance, she loved to cook, and uh, so she was probably my, my, my first and, and biggest uh, mentor. And then from a, from a business standpoint, there was a woman that, in fact, was my boss at Cirque for a few years, um, Muriel Quentin, and Muriel just showed me what it was like to be an executive at Cirque where there weren't ver very many female executives. So as a woman, you know, being in that, you know, that C-suite, 
um, you look to who's around you in that room for inspiration. And if it happens to be someone who is like-minded, you know, could be gender, maybe it's not gender, but in her case, you know, gender and the way she carried herself. Um, and the way she asked her questions to ultimately get her way was inspirational. And I hope I've taken a little piece of her. I always like to ask that question because I think what happens is we go through those iterations where we've had great mentors mm -hmm. and people that have influenced us, whether it was family or people that we worked with, and then now it becomes our opportunity to do the same. And that's something that I know that excites yes. me as a leader, and I'm sure it does you too. Yes, and I think sometimes we don't even know we're being mentors. I, I actually said this to, to a guy that I also worked with at Cirque who, who's since left the company, and I was having lunch with him one day in the cafeteria. and he was also a master of sarcasm. And so I said to him one day, I said, you realize right this minute, people are watching us because we are mentors for people that we don't even realize that we are because they've not asked us, they've just adopted us. And I said, did you know that you're one of my mentors? And he was very surprised. And I said, so everything you do, people watch that and they're going to take what they like and they're going to push away what they don't so it's important for us to know that we have to also present ourselves in a way that reflects, hopefully, the attributes that we want others to learn from, yeah. from us. Well said. Yeah. My dad used to coach me in baseball, and he always said to me, dress the part, yes. act the part, be the part. So it speaks to that. As a leader, everybody's yes. watching us. Yes. And that's where we have such a great opportunity to make an influence, not yes. only on the organization, but the team that we have the pleasure of working with. I was telling you earlier, that's why if I had a bad day at Cirque, I used to drive to the office, and when I had a bad day, I would just, I would keep it all in, and then I would get in the car, I would go to the first set of traffic lights, and I would just sort of scream it out in my car. It's like, okay, now I'm good, and I can go I home. I feel better. Yeah, now I feel better. Release the valve. Exactly. Which we all have to do, too. Exactly. Exactly. Diane Quinn, I want to thank you so much for being my guest on Waves of Success. I want to thank you for everything you've done to continue to steer this great organization thank that you. we have the pleasure of having here in West Palm Beach. And I look forward to continuing our relationship. And if I can do anything to help you along the way, please let me know. Thank you, David, and thanks for having me today. My pleasure. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us on today's episode of Waves of Success with our special guest, Diane Quinn. Chief Executive Officer at the Kravis Center for the Performing Arts. For more information on the Kravis Center, please feel free to visit their website at kravis.org. And until next time, make sure you catch your wave. If you've enjoyed this episode of Waves of Success, don't forget to like, follow, subscribe, and share. We'd like to thank our sponsors, IYC Yachts, Chervo, and Square Grouper, and the production team at Indie House Films.